You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose No Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. And if I sound a little unprepared and and out of breath or whatever, um, you know, one of the things about transitioning and all that stuff is we have our house on the market right now, and we were supposed to have a broker's open house today from 1.30 to 3.30, so I had to get the dogs off-site during that time period. We only had a couple realtors come through, uh, but, you know, real estate markets, yeah, it's like I, I missed it by about a month and a half, I think, uh, but that all said, one of my dogs decided he couldn't wait to get back and out of the car as I'm pulling into the driveway. He had diarrhea in the car, so... That's why I'm coming on the air last second. Too much information. Sorry about that. I'll stop thinking about that. Try and concentrate on the show and uh, and get my my head around in the right place. But yeah, was, <laughs> you can imagine a little bit of scramble, get things cleaned up and all that stuff between three thirty and four o'clock. Um, so feeling a little disjointed today. But I want to remind folks, we are a call-in show. It's, uh, and I, you know, and I'm so disjointed. I don't even have my studio open right now. <laughs> Give me half a second here. So, um, you know, we, um, let's start this again because you know that, and I got a, a message that we've lost another attorney out of the district's attorney's office. Um, apparently Deschutes County, which has a bit more money than we do, um, is poach them out of our office for an extra 20000 a year. Um, so things aren't going to get better before, you know, they're going to get worse before they get better as far as our no filings go. Um, and that's just uh, one more thing going on here in Lane County. As I was coming on the air, I got that that news uh, slightly before that, in between cleaning my car up, out. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's been one of those days. So, I'm going to try and take a couple deep breaths, get my act back together, think about what I wanted to talk about today when I was, you know, sitting in the car with the dogs posting my Facebook promo. <laughs> before things went to hell in a handbasket. Um, but we are a call-in show, 646-721-9887, easiest way to get in. Oh, and I see a hand up on the board. 
Robin, did you want to get in on the on the conversation, or did you just press one by accident? No, I was just playing around to see if it actually toggles, which it does not. Ah, so once it's up, it's up for good, huh? It's up for good, but I do have something I wanted to wanted to kind of add, though. I sent you a a Facebook message to kind of uh, share at the beginning of the show, if you don't mind. Uh, go right ahead. I just wanted to thank the um, <clears throat> City of Eugene Road Crews for putting down oil on West First Avenue and making it like ice for motorcyclists. And that was really nice of them to do. And also for whoever is working on 126 eastbound, uh, they're working on the bridge. They've been ignoring it for over a week and put some really deep grooved pavement. So I want to thank them for actually, you know, challenging our motorcycle skills. (laughs) Yes, I'm Sometimes you got to wonder about some of the road maintenance stuff. Um, and you wonder if that, you know, 126 got left started and then, then they realized they were starting work during the World Athletic Championships and maybe pushed it off for a little while or something. But, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, okay, we started a bridge, chewed it up, um, time for lunch. Yep, yep. We'll just leave it and, and, and see if the motorcycles can handle it. So, and, and of course, more people are riding their motorcycles because they get great gas mileage, <laughs> or they might be having some car issues. But um, yeah, I, I I have a couple friends that that you know kind of normally ride their motorcycle only now and then, more on weekends and for touring stuff like that. That are commuting on their motorcycles because it's so much cheaper. <laughs> exactly. Than well, commuting I'm in the car. That, you know, I got a larger motorcycle with wider tires, but I remember the days when I had the Honda 350 and hitting just regular groove payment uh, was kind of a scary adventure. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, and and oiling the streets and then not getting the chip steel down quick enough is, is a tough one, too. Not to mention, you pick that oil up and, and it flips it all over your your vehicle. <laughs> it's not so fun to clean up either. No, nope. um, like I say, yeah. just thank thank you for testing our our skill set. Yep, yep. City of Eugene and ODOT are testing um, motorcycle skill sets. I'm sure there are other agencies out there doing the same. And, and it's kind of brings up an interesting point before I get on to the DA and and other issues. Everyone's you know going, oh, thank goodness, gas prices are coming down. You know, and it, and this also gets to this whole idea of windfalls, et cetera. Um, it's a reaction to the price of gas. And it's not that somebody did something that lowered gas prices because what we released from the Petroleum Reserve is a fraction of a percent of our daily usage in the U.S. <laughs> you know, so it's it's not lowering gas prices. It was, you know, a do-something issue, and I don't know why we did it. But what's happened, though, is we have dropped our gasoline consumption and oil consumption in the U.S. down to levels that equal the pandemic shutdown levels. We've we've curtailed that much driving, or we've chosen to ride our motorcycles, or decided not to take the RV out, you know, and and stayed at home that weekend. And... um, 
that's why gas prices are going down. Now they're still more than a dollar a gallon higher than they were <laughs> not too long ago. Um, but they're coming down because people aren't driving. And then you wonder why we reported last Thursday the second consecutive quarter of negative growth in our gross domestic product. People stop driving. That means they're not going out to restaurants or they're not going on those vacations, you know, that it, and, and, you know, sales of petroleum products are part of our gross domestic product. Um, so um, we hit the legal definition to be in a recession. You know, what is considered the technical definition? Two straight quarters of negative growth of your economy is a recession. So, um, you know, we have hit that definition despite all the, you know, trying to redefine the word by the folks that are in power because they don't like having that word used right now um, coming into the midterms. So getting away from gasoline and motorcycles and all that stuff, because it's pretty fascinating. We may come back to that because it is an interesting aspect of some of what's going on. Um, and may ultimately lead to how inflation slows down besides the fact that the interest rates are being jacked up is just that the economy slows down to the point where um, we, you know, inflation, so, yeah, but I, I don't see inflation completely slowing down because we printed so much money over the last several years. And that's going to take a while for that inflationary aspect of excess dollars in circulation to change. Um, and so that, that pressure for inflation is going to continue um, for quite a while. But we're starting to see some things, you know, levelize a little bit. But, you know, then there's the other factor in that labor costs often lag material cost inflation because employees start demanding bigger raises because everything they're paying for is going up. So that's where we're seeing this issue with the DA's office somewhat. And, you know, we signed a new contract with our deputy district attorneys not too long ago where we gave them some substantial increases to try and put them into market. Because our aim is to be competitive in the marketplace with our pay. But in the short term, since we signed that contract last year, the state of Oregon has gone crazy with raises for their attorneys in the uh, attorney general's office and Department of Justice. And other counties have also been giving out big raises. And other counties have more general fund to lean back on than we do. I'm going to have to go back and explain a few things so people can understand the finances for some of the southwestern Oregon counties. Once upon a time ago, because most of these counties have massive percentages of federal forest lands in them, they generated almost all their revenue from federal timber sale shared receipts. 
Forest Service, we would get 25% of their receipts directly into the counties and the Bureau of Land Management, Oregon and California Railroad lands, those checkerboard lands, you know, up and down, you know, the coast range, those were 50% of the receipts came to the counties. And we were so flush that we didn't have to have a high property tax rate. In fact, we were sitting on a $100 million surplus in our general fund before the spotted owl, you know, as basically our reserves. Uh, Long comes the spotted owl, they basically curtail off timber harvest. Uh, They try and replace it, some of that with, you know, owl replacement dollars, and then it became the Secure Rural Schools Act, and then they tapered that down, have re-upped it in one-year re-ups. The most recent was a three-year. Even so, it is so far below the harvest levels. Now, mind you, all these counties that were heavily timber revenue dependent, Douglas County, Lane County, Coos County, Curry County, Josephine County, Jackson County, all these southwestern Klamath County is right in there with them. Even Lincoln County, Benton, and a few others to a minor degree, not as heavily dependent as Lane County. But our permanent tax rates were rather low because we were getting all this federal money. Now, shortly after the Spotted Owl came into being, a lot of people started raising property taxes to make up the difference, particularly school districts, because they also shared in that federal tax money. And people started reacting to, oh my God, my the value of my house is going up due to inflation and the Californians coming in and buying everything in Oregon. And now they're raising the rates of my property taxes. I'm not gonna be able to afford to stay in my home because of the property tax. So Measure 5 passed in Oregon back in 1995, or was it 94? Capping permanent tax rates for various governments, which means a lot of these southwestern Oregon counties got their permanent tax rates capped at levels far below what the rest of the state has. Multnomah County's permanent tax rate is close to $7 per thousand. Lane County's is $1.28. They basically have five to six times more higher tax rate coming in for their their general fund because property tax comes right into your general fund. Mind you, you've got, you know, Fort Josephine County that was permanent tax rate, I think is 59 cents or 69, almost half of ours. We're the fourth lowest though. We're the fourth lowest permanent tax rate. And when you look at our per capita um, local revenue collections, we're one of the lowest in the state, like second lowest. Um, So that's the background here somewhat. These counties, down in southwestern Oregon are hurting. We do not have excess general fund. Almost all these counties spend almost their entire general fund on public safety 
agencies, sheriff's department, district attorney, and um, you know the supporting the support around them. There's a small piece we have to, about 30% of each of these counties, we gotta spend it on things we are required to do by statute and, and the Oregon Constitution. We have to run an elections office. We as the counties are all the public health authority. So there's general fund that goes into our public health department. It's a required service of the county. We are also the tax collector for all the agencies within our borders. And in Lane County, that's 180 other different taxing districts. You know, from some little tiny um, school district or fire district or whatever, you know, library districts to the city of Eugene, we do the assessment of the properties and the tax collection for all those various agencies, and we don't get any money for it from those agencies. We collect the taxes and distribute it out to them, you know, at no cost to the city of Eugene or School J, 4, 4J or, um, you know, South Lane Fire or the West Lane Ambulance District. Now, mind you, when that system was, you know, more or less established, the state was supposed to help pay for that. And at one point, they paid 70% of the cost of collecting taxes, of the county's cost. It's down to 30%. They keep decreasing the amount while the cost keeps going up. So that's just a little bit of background for everybody. So we can't, we don't put a lot of general fund into other departments. We don't have general fund going into our parks department. We don't have general fund going into our permit department. We don't have general fund going into our parole and probation department. Because we have so little general fund because of that measure five limitation. Not that that's a bad thing. The issue really is, is the federal government is not meeting their responsibility for owning so much of these counties where we're not allowed to locally tax the federal government. They either need to turn that property into private property where we can tax it, or they need to harvest the timber and share the receipts, or they need to make payments that are equal to what those receipts should be, which they are coming nowhere close to right now particularly if you adjust what we used to get to inflation, they should be paying Lane County about $100 million a year, less than $16 million comes to Lane County a year from the federal government. And most of that goes into our road fund, where it's highly limited on how we can use it. So, that's kind of the, the background. I want to make people understand that, how tight timber counties are. We're not Deschutes County, who does, was never really a timber-dependent county, and besides the point, has a permanent taxing district that supports their sheriff's department, and one that supports their patrol, 
and one for the jail, one for patrol. So their general funds pretty much, you know, they can use it practically for their DA's office and support their DA's in a way we can't, which explains why they just hired one of our staffers away for an extra $20,000 a year. So that's kind of the background where we're trying to compete for manpower. And, and why, you know, if we give raises, it usually means we have to cut somewhere because our property taxes only grow at the, at the what's allowed under measure five for the assessed values to grow at, which is 3%. I mean, there's new, you know, value put on the books each year, but generally that's not even another percent. So our property taxes grow somewhere around three and a half percent a year. Now you can imagine we're in a 10% inflation environment. And we've got employees that are looking at that going, we need raises. So we're having trouble competing for staff. Now the real issue is this federal government lack of payment. But in addition to that, it's the state of Oregon divorcing themselves from the financial responsibility for what they've mandated counties to do. They've mandated that counties are the prosecutors in state court, that we run that department. Even though the first words a deputy district attorney says when they get recognized by the judge in a courtroom is the state charges so-and-so with X, Y, Z. The state, not the county, the state. They used to pay the county's enough money that they actually supported the department, never more, it wasn't 50% support, but it was at least a fairly significant support where a portion of our deputy DA's salaries was paid by state dollars. They have gradually decreased that, that amount of support to where they only pay about $90,000 of our district attorney's salary. Now, mind you, our district attorney's running a small law firm. So we have to pay our district attorney a competitive wage for the market, which means you're talking, you know, 160, 170, and even that's underpaid for what they're doing. And then you got PERS and everything else on top of it. So they're not even paying half probably the cost of our district attorney. They're paying absolutely none of our deputy district attorneys, none of our investigators. By the way, they also charge us with investigating unattended deaths in our district attorney's office. That's a mandated service the counties provide on behalf of the state. But they've walked back the funding that they provide for prosecution at the county level to the point where they don't even pay half the cost of a district attorney let alone 20 plus staffers that they need to actually run in Lane County. So that's the history, this, this gradual decrease. While at the same time, the state's giving their attorneys massive raises that we have to compete with. And the federal government's walked away from their financial responsibility to the counties. So as people are wondering, why can't the county move some money around and keep our attorneys? Well, where are we moving it from? Are we going to close the wing of the jail to get enough money to pay our district attorneys? 
Are we going to stop collecting taxes for the other school districts, et cetera? Are we going to close our elections department? Are we going to shut down our public health department? You know, it's, and those are all required services. On top of this, the state keeps adding to what they want us to do and not providing funding. A couple perfect examples of that. They chose to have motor voter and automatically register people to vote which has massively increased the number of people that are on our voter rolls. Well, we're the ones that have the cost of keeping track of those, the records portion of it, and ultimately mailing ballots, you name it. But was there extra money that came with motor voter? No. But we're mandated to make sure we get you know, the correct ballot to each one of those people that's automatically registered by the state. Which, by the way, that those automatically registered people, they're one of the lowest turnout populations. They, you know, you, you're registering people to vote that never really wanted to. So adding cost to the counties. Everybody knows that the state hospital in Junction City is having some issues. They've been audited and all that stuff. And the state hospital system has always, you know, been a cost problem for the state. Well, one of the things that's caused them to be overcrowded and all that stuff is something called aid and assist, where a judge gets somebody in that's being charged with something and determines that that person is so mentally ill, they cannot aid and assist in their own defense because they either can't understand the charges or what's going on. So they get sent, they get court ordered into treatment to aid and assist them to the, you know, get them to the point to where they can aid and assist themselves in their own defense. A lot of these patients go to the state hospital system. Well, the state hospital system was getting so upset with the cost of all that stuff that they, the legislature decided to require counties to start providing aid and assist services. Didn't give us enough money to cover it. Already stressed mental health systems in our counties, yet they're adding to it and shirking some duties that were primarily the state's responsibility in Oregon health authorities. So that's kind of the, you know, the, this financial thing is going on in the background here. You got these timber counties that were tapped on their permanent tax rates. Federal governments walked away from their responsibility. The state keeps adding responsibilities and mandated services the counties are supposed to provide, but it does not give us the money to do so. Another example of that is the community correction system where they have got the counties providing post-prison and probationary supervision of felons you know, in the, in the county. You know, they come out of prison, we get to be the supervisors for their three years of, of, you know, parole. Or if they're put on probation, you know, in lieu of a sentence, we get to supervise those folks. Well, because we can't put in a lot of general fund to it, our, our parole and probation guys have the, one of the highest workloads in the state. 
Um, and they're doing it. They do fantastic work. You know, I, I, this is nothing against them. But the state is required under the original setup of the system, which was which was done in 1995. Also, a lot of stuff happened in the mid 90s under Senate Bill 1145. The system was set up every six years. The state was supposed to do a detailed time study, they call it, of how much it actually costs to supervise somebody, you know, post prison or, or whatever, and figure out what a daily rate would be per person under supervision, a, a rate of compensation to the counties. So they go through this study, but the bill didn't require the state to actually fund the full level of the study. And this, the legislature since 1995 has never fully funded what their study shows it actually costs the counties. And they keep sliding further and further behind that study. Another case of requiring us to do something and then backing away from their financial responsibility to pay for us doing that for them. And if you notice, a lot of this is interactive with the public safety system. Aid and assist people coming out of the courts, uh, you know, lack of support for the district attorneys, lack of support for parole and probation, which, by the way, also includes our sheriff's department because they have to provide all the sanctioning for those folks on supervision that aren't getting sent all the way back to prison. They can end up on one of our work crews. You know, they could end up having to get an ankle bracelet for a while, you know, to closely track the, you know, their movements. They could end up serving a couple of nights in jail, maybe on a weekend or something like that. Um, and holding those, those jail beds have a cost. That's all into that time study. So when the state's been underfunding these systems, it has an impact. Folks are starting to get mad because the district attorney actually announced we're not going to be no we're going to be no filing certain crimes. They should not be getting mad at the county or the district attorney. They should be getting mad at their local state legislator. They should be getting mad at their federal representatives. They're, you know, from Senator Wyden down to Senator Manning, from Congressman DeFazio down to Representative Fahey. They need to hear from you folks here in Lane County how you feel unsafe because the state and the federal government are not keeping their financial responsibilities to counties. I wish I had some level of what our old timber funding was. We'd have deputies out there. We'd be, we'd be, you know, investigating property crimes instead of sending you a piece of paper so you can get a police report number to file your insurance with. You know, those sorts of things, actually having a deputy show up and investigate the crime and hope to try and find a person that was responsible and having a DA's office that has the capacity to actually, you know, file charges and, and get that person taken care of. You know, it, it's just, we, we should have that funding. Now, you know, 
Multnomah County has got all, more money than God compared to us. And and the state backing away from some of their responsibilities, they just kind of shrug it off because, you know, they've got that $7 per thousand tax rate. Here in Lane County, though, $1.28. And then we had to, you know, try multiple times, and we finally approved get another 55 cents per thousand for our jail and youth services under that public safety levy, which is coming up for renewal next spring. I want folks to understand financially where timber counties are. We don't have reserves. We don't have the ability to react in the moment and say, you know what, we're going to reopen the contract with our deputy district attorneys and we're going to give them all a 5% cost of living increase just to try and keep us competitive with the state and Deschutes County. If we do that, we got to find the money somewhere. It's not in our reserves. We don't have the ability to just go and, you know, collect it somewhere. When we passed the public safety levy in 2013, it was the first time Lane County had passed a tax measure in over 20 years, basically a generation, failed attempts previously. And in that background, we're holding a public hearing next week a public hearing on the possibility of a 16 cent per thousand parts levy going on the ballot for November. We need to hear from you about that. I am not thrilled with the idea of putting parts levy out there before we've renewed our public safety levy next spring. It's desperately needed. Like I said, we don't put any general fund money into our park system, and they've been falling woefully behind in maintenance. And, you know, I, the need's there, but I'd like to ask the voters to put public safety and make sure we assure we've got that five-year levy renewed before I come in and ask them about parks. Because who knows where the economy will be next May? Two quarters of negative growth cut back on their driving so far that we're actually consuming the same amount of gasoline today that we were consuming during the, the height of the pandemic in 2020. Are people going to be in the mood to approve renewing attacks on their homes. Hard to predict. Are they, are, if the parks levy goes on the ballot and it's successful, will they be more or less likely to renew that sheriff's levy? I don't have a crystal ball, but we need to hear from the public about this. Next Tuesday, I wish I had the time. I think it's 1.30, but I'm going to see if I can find that right now um, because I believe that we uh, put out a press release about it today. So 
Give me just a moment while I sort of fiddle with my computer in the background here. Um, yes, it's at 1.30. Just want to make sure that. So that's Tuesday, August 9th, 1.30. can attend in person in Harris Hall, or you can actually use a link to log in if, if, and, and um, sign up remotely to give testimony. So we're, it's you know one of these hybrid you know meetings where we take you know testimony over the internet. So no excuse almost for you know unless you just have no ability to to take the time to pay attention to a computer. 1:30 next Tuesday, not to put your two cents in, and you don't have to have a long three-minute thing. You can say it in 30 seconds. Yes, you should put it on the ballot. No, you shouldn't. And here's why. And just be done with it. You know, don't have to repeat a lot of things. Um, so just know that next Tuesday, 1.30, public hearing on placing a 16 cents per thousand parts levy, five-year parts levy on the ballot in November. Yes, Robin. <laughs> um, could you spell that out to? Because that sounds cheap. Could you spell that out to somebody that has like a um, three hundred thousand dollar home? Um, you know, it is relatively cheap. Um, you know, because you think about it. You know, if your assessed value of your home is three hundred thousand, you know, that's that's three hundred one thousands. So that you take that. 300 times 16, you know, and it's it's not a lot of money it, annually. I'm making an engineer do math. Yes. So it's basically $48 a year, um, but that's 48 more dollars a year on top of, uh, you know, my assessed value is slightly higher than that. You know, so I would guess somebody that has an assessed value around 3,000 that's living in the city of Eugene or, um, you know, Springfield, where they're at the max $10 per thousand. You know, that's um, on top of the $3,000 tax bill, probably. And that adds up with all the other uh, levies and bonds that uh, go on, on the property tax each year. And Yeah, I know. I'm, I look at my tax bill. I've got a huge chunk of my tax bills paying the school district bond right now. And then there's also a library levy that's on there. You know, so, and I got a fire district levy on there. So it's like every, all these little levies. Well, they add up. But like me, that's about two, two and a half months of my gross income. Yeah, for for just your property taxes. Just for my property tax. Yeah, so you know, it's, it's that's where I, I I get concerned about property taxes because they truly do hurt low income and fixed income people the most, and particularly elderly people that have managed to pay off their property, where that is the biggest bill of the year for them. Yeah, you know, in, in retirement, usually you're on a fixed income, and as they just keep creeping up, that three and a half percent automatic increase just on on 
the inflationary factor of, of real estate going up in the market. So there's always that three and a half percent increase plus whatever new levy has been passed. So just insult to injury sometimes of that. I'd be so much happier if the federal government fixed the federal timber shared receipt system, either started harvesting or started paying us the real value. I would be so happy if this state actually started paying the real cost of our community correction system, if they actually started supporting the DA's office like they used to, if they actually supported our assessment taxation like they used to. Placing mandates on us that didn't have the funding that came with them or inadequate funding that came with them. You know, if you want us to do something on your behalf, state, pay the full cost. If you're going to mandate us to do it. If we choose to do it as a local service, then we should be able to find the funds locally to do it. But if you tell us we have to do it, you know, there, there's a, a responsibility on the state's behalf there. And we are a part of state government. You know, we're not, we're not completely independent, even for home rule county. We still are a, quote, subdivision of the state. So as everybody keeps hearing news about district attorney's office, and hopefully you won't be hearing news next year of us, you know, not supervising certain low-level offenders or something like that because we don't have the parole and probation staff or, you know, not being able to keep people in jail because we're starting to have to close jail beds or we're reducing our patrol services again. Um, when you start hearing any of that, remember how the state over the last 30 years has disinvested in funding counties, yet required us to do more, and how the federal government's done the same thing. Don't blame your local county commissioner. We're, we scramble. We are, and, and your elected officials like the district attorney and the sheriff they scramble for every dollar they can get. They're getting grants from the, you know, this program or that program, or even sometimes private trusts to try and put enough money together to hire another person. We just got a big grant from the federal government to go after illegal marijuana grows. And it was our sheriff's department that went through applying for that. And it's going to, and it's allowing us to hire a few more staff. And it's also allowing us to go after an insidious problem in the state of Oregon, which is the illegal growing hiding behind our legal system. And the illegal growing is almost all being done by cartels that are running people over our southern, open southern border, bringing them up here, whether it's the, the, the head honchos that are criminals 
or it's people that are trafficking and, and enslaving into working on these groves in horrible conditions. And then they're selling this marijuana into states that where it's still illegal, and that's where they're getting the bang for the buck. But they're kind of hiding themselves under that, you know, is it legal or an illegal grow? You know, or not. And, and uh, finally getting some money has kind of helped sort some of that stuff. Had a really big bust under the same sort of program down in Jackson County just this last week. So, um, but it's going to be like whack-a-mole. We'll break, we'll bust one grow over here. And there, there's, while there's 20 others going on in Lane County. It's that profitable to them that, they, that they're willing to, to play that game. <sighs> but, you know, that's my concern is, you know, we're headed into some tricky territory. County budgets are okay right now because of all the federal money that's flowing down into the state and the counties from ARPA and all these various COVID relief packages. That's going to dry up in a year or so. And besides the point, all that federal money has been driving the inflation issues, which are causing us other problems. So it, yeah, I, 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 I am concerned about what we'll be able to do with our public safety system two or three years down the road here in southwestern Oregon, where counties were locked into low permanent rates, lost their federal support through the timber receipt, shared timber receipts, and um, have been disinvested by the state. So, um, yeah, we are not going in a healthy direction right now, not in a safe direction. Meanwhile, meanwhile, everybody's concerned about affordable housing. Before I get started on that, I just want to remind folks, once again, we are a call-in show. 646-721-9887. Just press 1 and that Let's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the show. Again, it's 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1 because we do have people that call in to listen to the show because not everyone can stick around a computer all the time or stay where they've got a stable enough Internet connection. So sometimes cell service and, and, and audio only is good enough. So affordable housing. This is another one where sometimes people can't see the forest for the trees sometimes and how they're making problems worse with the solutions they're proposing. But we have, quote, an affordable housing plan here in Lane County that the board has moved forward with, which I did not necessarily support because it depended too heavily on government-built housing. Most of the strategies are about, you know, land banking with the government, about, you know, getting projects built by government, you know, it's just government does not build affordable housing. Let me say that again. Government housing is not affordable housing. What government housing is, is subsidized housing. It may be affordable to the tenant 
or the person that takes over ownership of that. But it's affordable because the rest of the cost was subsidized by somebody else. And usually those costs are higher than what the private market would take to build a similar unit of housing. Why? Government's involved. First, you got to have a method for collecting the taxes to, to distribute, assessment taxation, we already talked about that, or some other IRS, State Department of Revenue, somebody's got to collect the money from the private sector, so it's getting removed from the economy, which, by the way, the private sector um, utilizes capital more efficiently than governments, but you know, I'm getting to that somewhat. So you got the collection side that there's an overhead on. Then somebody's got to determine how to spend it or taking grant applications, approved grants, or whatever else. That's more staff, more overhead being sucked off that money. And then it's got to be built in, under government contracting law. Can you say prevailing wage and here in Lane County community benefits agreements, all of it adds costs and it adds a huge paperwork burden to both the staff that oversees the contracts and the contractor building. So the prices go up. And of course then, because there may be some federal funds mixed in or state funds, there's all sorts of construction requirements, 1% for art or something like that, or so much green energy involved, or you know, all sorts of requirements that you wouldn't put in, your, in a normal private sector dwelling unit. But it all gets wrapped in there. So by the time the dollar you pulled out of the economy ends up getting you about 50 or 60 cents of dwelling unit, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. That much of a, of a loss. So there's somebody out there that, that had to pay that dollar that now can't put that dollar towards their housing. And now what's worse is the federal government is actually printing money to put into this, quote, government-built housing system. Can you say inflation? So they're creating the inflation that makes housing expensive. And now to fight the inflation, they're raising interest rates, making housing less affordable because mortgage rates are going up. How is government housing solving the problem? And then there's the question of is how much actual number of units can a government, local government build in a single year compared to how many do we need? We need thousands a year. We're lucky if we put 100 subsidized units on the market a year through government programs here in Lane County. We need thousands. I mean, three to 5,000 a year at least to try and keep up with our population growth and the fact that we underbuilt housing for so long. Do you think government-supplied housing will ever get close to meeting that kind of demand? And at what cost? 
Now, there is some small portion of the housing solution that government-built housing can solve, which is the housing that has services with it. Some of the housing where, you know, case management's involved for people with addiction problems, with people with mentally ill problems, where they can't deal with being a tenant in a private sector housing situation. In fact, they probably were evicted multiple times for shouting in the middle of the night at nobody and kicking a hole in a wall or not paying their rent you know, because they spent it all on drugs. It, it, you name it. It, it. That's why they're not they end up unhoused a lot of times. And that permanent supportive housing situation and transitional housing, there's a need there that government can supply to a, to a certain degree. But long-term, trying to, to compete with the market and providing affordable housing ain't going to happen. Where government can actually make a difference is to move the barriers away from the private sector for building housing. And this state has put up so many barriers since the early 70s when Senate Bill 100 passed that it's nearly impossible to build affordable housing in the private side. And we continue to do it, thinking we're helping people. Statewide rent control that passed. Shortly after that passed, investments in multifamily project, private projects in the Portland metro area fell by over half the permitting. Why? People saw that, that law passed the state, uh, you know, that as a rather generous annual allowance for rent increases, but showed that the state's willing to decrease, you know, to, to actually intervene in that market and potentially could in future years just, you know, by a simple change that law, lower that allowed increase amount. Investors don't like the idea that they can't keep their rents up with the cost of maintaining the buildings. So, you know, that, that's the bad, you know, government, stop it. Stop trying to help. Step out of the way. Think of ways we can make it easier for people to put housing units on the market and all types of housing units. We finally got the state to approve doing accessory dwelling units on rural residential property, but they put a two-acre minimum lot size on it. And at the same time, they said you can't implement it until we've adopted these wildfire risk maps, which they finally adopted this last month after years. It, it took them forever. So we've been sitting on the side for several years now since they passed that law, waiting to implement accessory dwelling units on RR land, two acres and larger. Robin, what's up? <laughs> Uh, actually, I'm just curious, speaking of land, was there any updates on the people up there in Vida and so forth? Uh, as far as uh, fire permits, et cetera? Right. Um, we're catching up 
with a lot of that permitting. But, you know, there's, believe it or not, we're actually getting emails at the Board of Commissioners from the environmentalists saying they don't like the rebuilding. You know, now that the, you know, because the forest burned, they can actually see where the houses are being rebuilt from the river. And they're saying that we're endangering Eugene's water supply by allowing this building in the repairing area. Honest to God, I have gotten about 30. Yeah. And, And then you wonder why we have a housing crisis. People trying to rebuild in the exact same footprint their house was in the first place. That's what gives them the right to reconstruct. But honestly, they took some video from a, a drift boat or something like that and to show how impactful it was. And, and oh, 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 all worried and everything else. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is what drives things like our board of commissioners passing that floodplain ordinance that made it more costly for people to build houses in any floodplains in, in, in Lane County, including the fire victims. So they restrict uh, rebuilding, and then they go, how come our tax, we're not creating as much tax revenue? Yep. And and how come housing's not affordable in this county? So I, I, uh, it just, yeah, like I said, doesn't make sense. City of Eugene's moving ahead with their banning natural gas and new new housing. Another way to make housing more expensive and limit your choices and make it harder more expensive for people to heat their homes, not to mention what it's going to do to our electric grid. But they're moving ahead with that that electrification program. So, you know, it's like all these elected officials, you know, are gnashing their teeth and and rending their clothing over the, the lack of affordable housing and the unhoused and all that stuff. And we have to be compassionate and everything else. Yet they turn around and do things that are creating the problem they're upset about so, in uh, the name of something how's tennessee <laughs> don't ask that gets me back to having the house open and and the dog and everything else full circle here on the bose nose show as we're getting ready to go off the air i know it's got i didn't get to some of my topics today because i got so wound up about other things um we, we might get to some of those later. Uh, next week, at the same time here on the Bose News Show, 4 p.m. Pacific on Wednesday. I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening and for putting up with me. 